If you've been doing our Bible plan together as a church, this week we just went through Timothy and 2 Timothy, who's going through our Bible plan together, right? I love doing this together, and we're reading the Word uh, as a church year by year. But something struck me when I read 2 Timothy. It's hard. I know Jeannie and I, we both get accused of this. Every verse is our favorite verse, right? And every chapter is our favorite chapter. Every character is our favorite character. Depends on who we're preaching from or who we're reading right from that day. But I read Timothy, and I was like, man, I really love Timothy, and I love what Paul says to him and encourages him. I want us to look together at the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, 1 Timothy is a lot of warnings. A lot, there was some issues going on in that time, and uh, he gives Timothy. What's interesting about this book, First and Second Timothy, is it's talking to an individual. Um, the other books through the New Testament are talking to the church, but really he's talking to Timothy, telling him things that, are, that would apply to the church and can apply to us, of course, but he was talking to him as his son in the faith, and that's special because... Uh, we see that uh, it's very personal. Everybody say it's personal. The gospel is personal. And we can look everything from Genesis to Revelation, and we can apply every single principle personally. But I love this because what's going on is that there is uh, some false truths floating around. There are some lies beginning to float around. There's some stuff getting in to the church at the time. And he's telling Timothy, you're going to have to hold your ground. Tells him in 1 Timothy, don't, you know, don't let anybody knock you around that you're young. You need to just be bold in what God's given you and who you are. So we go into 2 Timothy, and it says this in chapter 3, verse 1. And this is what struck me when we read this this week, and I read these verses, and I just thought, wow. I don't know if we're in the end times or the last times, but it certainly feels like it. Who would agree at least it feels like it? Whether we are in them or not, it doesn't matter because I've said before, all of our clocks are ticking, right? Anybody's clock in here, hit pause. All of our clocks are ticking, so my end times are coming, right? All of our end times are coming. They're on their way, right? So I'm going to apply this regardless that I have only X amount of time to live on this earth to live for the Lord, period. But It certainly seems like what I'm about to read is talking about now, and where it seems like it's just getting darker and darker and darker. But I want to encourage you, before I even read it, the darker it gets, even the dimmest light can be seen from farther and further away, right? Right? A light that, uh, who saw by any chance, anybody see Jupiter? going in the sky? I had to look it up. I was sitting outside with a fire last night, and I thought, it was a plane. It was so bright, and, you know, like stars, you see the dot of light, but you don't see them shining, like where your eyes are, you know, it was like giving me uh, rays. So I came inside the door, and I was like, can someone else come out and see this? She didn't come out. Levi did. It was late. I grabbed Levi. I called for Aaron, too. He didn't, he didn't answer back. So I found out it was Jupiter, and apparently it's because Jupiter is very close right now, and it's, it's reflecting something to do with reflecting off the moon. It's our biggest planet, and I'm telling you, it was so bright. And the point is that uh, it, was, it was there all along. You know, Jupiter doesn't move, but as it got really dark late at night, 
uh, this phenomenon happened where it was able to shine brighter and brighter. And it actually, I could see physical rays. So I came out with, I brought Levi out and I said, without influencing him. And he's like, it looks like it has rays. You know, like when you look at a light and you stare at it, you know, and it starts to show rays. I mean, you know how far away that is right now? And it's just a reflector of light. It's not like it's the sun that has light. And so the point is, we need to be encouraged. Before I'm about to read this paragraph, I want you to be firstly encouraged right off the bat that if it's getting darker and darker, then our light is just going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And our light is not our own, right? We're like Jupiter. We are shining. We are reflecting the light of God, right? We are not lights ourselves. We are the light in the earth because we are reflections of the light, right, in the heavens, Christ himself. Amen. So let me just get into this, and uh, we're going to move forward. So I want you to look at, uh, let's go to chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. And it says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Who feels like the last couple of years have been difficult, right? And the reason I don't... Uh, just automatically say end times is because the generation living during World War I, World War II, Spanish flu, uh, stock market crash of 1929, I think they would have been like, these are pretty hard times too, right? All right, so uh, let's just be fair that we have been through dark times in history before. But I'm going to read some things here that you, not, that you couldn't find during World War II. You would find it to a level, but not to this degree, okay, for... Yes, there's difficult times before, but in verse 2 it says, people will love only themselves. Have we gotten to a time of self? Like I can't even believe, just self. They will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. See, even World War II, if you were to uh, look at a, the school system and you were to look at your local villages and towns, the churches would have been filled on Sundays, right? And schools would be talking about God. They were praying in school, right? So it was a dark time, but God was still a part of this nation, right? And uh, much of the world, but it's been decreasing and decreasing and decreasing because they're bringing in, their, Satan is bringing in his own agenda. The words already told us this would happen. It says this. It says, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Now, there once was a time when a child was disobedient that they would be punished. I know you can't even say that anymore, punished. You know, like, go stand in the corner. No, that's not what I mean. There, wasn't, there once was a time when a child was wrong, and he knew he was wrong. Well, let's just leave it at that. And the idea was not to hurt the child, but obviously to get them to realize the wrong, to get them to grow. But there's a time where we have come into where it's not just disobedient to parents. Do you know right now, parents, this is not, uh, this, this is insanity, but parents can be jailed for not listening to their children's wishes. And you can use your imagination, watch the news. If the child wants to change their being and the parent says no, the parent can actually be jailed for denying the child's wishes. 
That's real life that's happening right now. We're not, we're talking about another level beyond disobedience. You know, there was a respect for parents. There's a time that a child was designed by God to live under parents. Now, a parent is always a parent for the rest of their life, right? Thank God for mother-in-laws. Ha ha. <laughs> right? There's always parents the rest of your life. But you are your own, right? You hit a point, you're an adult, and you have to make your own decisions. But there is a time designed by God that your decision is not your decision. That was the whole point. The parent is steering the child because the child is dumb. I don't mean that disrespectfully, right? We were all children and we were dumb, right? We all Because we don't know. We, we make dumb decisions. And so we are being steered to make the right decisions. When we've made a wrong decision, you know, we were dealt with, we were punished, and then when we did the right decision, we were praised. And the idea was to steer a child so that the Bible says, so when they grow old, they won't depart from it, right? Raise a child in the ways of the Lord and the way they should go. And what's happened is we come to a place where it's not just disobedience, but literally the parents are being punished. Isn't that insane? Talk about backwards. And then ungrateful. Just an there's just no, there's no gratefulness for anything. Everything is I deserve. Me, 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 deserve, deserve, deserve. They will consider nothing sacred. Wow, do you think we've gotten there? There's nothing sacred. You know, it once was a time that like, you know, if they heard you are a Christian, they'd be like, oh, sorry, and stop swearing around you. You know, and some people still do that, but you're, gonna, you're finding that less and less and less. There was a time where, you know, even gangs wouldn't touch a priest because that's a priest. You know, they might touch the other people, but, you know, there's like, ugh, that's a priest. And, and that you can just see the church, the, the sacredness of God is just going and going and going. There is no sacred anymore. It says they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. You know, even the idea of a Sunday. A Sunday, even people who weren't super Christians throughout time, Sunday was God's time. Now, I'm sure throughout history, there was always, you know, the person who was living for the world instead of living for God, right? We're fully aware that not everybody's been a Christian since the beginning of time. But if you look at this nation, you look at the world, Sunday historically was set apart. And you, even if you were a bad guy, you still went to church and then you did bad stuff after church. I mean, that's just the way it was, right? I'm not saying that's okay, but you see how we're declining. Now it's like, forget church. I'll just do bad stuff on Saturday night. Then I'll sleep in on Sunday morning. That's a great time to sleep in, to catch up. Then I'll watch football all Sunday afternoon, and then I'll start the week again. It says, they will act religious. Now, this is the one that really hit me so hard because it says, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And it says in the Amplified this, it says, for although they hold a form of piety, or the Amplified Classic says true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct negates or belies, right, their genuineness, genuineness of their profession. In other words, it says that there is a people that 
They are pretenders. They, they say they are, but their lives do not reflect what they say they believe. And I thought this was really hard for me to read because this is exactly when Jesus came, what Jesus was dealing with. That's exactly why Jesus was so hard with the Jews, his own people. That he loved them and had grace on them, but like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were supposed to be leading the people, he called them whitewashed sepulchers. Do you know what that means? You know what whitewashing is? Anybody, everybody familiar with whitewashing? Whitewashing is the process of that. Let's say I decide I'm going to flip a house. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into a dump. You might know it as you can't put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig, right? Well, you can put lipstick on a pig and make it look pretty but still a pig. So you can come in and you can whitewash. You can just take white paint and you can paint over all the mess hidden underneath, but there's still bad wiring. There's still rot and mold, right, TJ? And it's just painted nice. It looks nice. So the, so the onlooker says, wow, this looks nice, but really inside is rot. And that's actually what Jesus called the leaders of the church in the time that he was living. So when we're reading it again, it said it would come again. There would be a time where it was in Jesus was the promised one for the Jews, and they rejected him. We know that that's Bible history. That's the reason that Jesus went to the cross, and we are here today because of all that, and God used it all like he does everything. But the Bible says there would come a time when it would happen again, where the church would actually enter into that place again where they act religious, they still go to church, they pretend everybody's like, everybody says, thank God for this and thank God for that with no life or substance behind it, right? God, 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 they say it. And now, you know, we're not even going to say it anymore. Now we just, we pull the crosses down and we put up other things in their place. And the point is that that building has become something without the power of it, which is Christ himself, right? It's a church, but it's not a church anymore. It's a Christian by name, but it's not a Christian. Because the power of it, Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, is gone. Continuing on in verse 7, in the NLT, it says, actually in verse 6, uh, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 5, it says at the end there, in the NLT, it says something that is, really, we don't talk about this, and most people will be like, oh, that's not, that's not Christian. If you were to tell someone you should stay away from that person, they say, you know, they're, they're unloving, they're ungrateful, right? They're boastful, they're proud. And if I was to tell you, stay away from them, they're like, that's not very Christian. The Bible says to us, stay away from people like that. That's how strong, that's how much of an opposite, that's how, that's how the darkness, I want to say this, you should not have non-Christian friends, now, before, you're like, I culture shocked you on purpose. I want you, I want you to be shocked. Listen, you should have non-Christian acquaintances. They should be acquaintances. You are going to be their friend, but they're not your friend. Okay? You can be a friend to them. They are not your friend. You know what I mean. Jesus went into the worst places, but he did not let them corrupt him. Right? Jesus influenced them. They did not influence him. And so when you're around the world, you should have one purpose. I'm not saying you're just going to be bashing them over the head with the Bible every day. That's not going to do it. It didn't work for you, right? 
But your one purpose by being their friend is to love them into the kingdom. Without that, you're not really being a friend anyway, are you? You're just hanging around the world. So I just wanted to give, I just, I saw this and that was a little side note. That's not what I want to get into today, but I want you to consider the people that were around. If you're around this, and this is really the ultimate where I'm going to get to with the sermon though, is that what he's telling Timothy, this thing, this stuff will influence you. Who has found that when you're going through a hard time and you talk to the wrong person, maybe a day or two later, you realize that they're, they rubbed off on you, huh? Christian or non-Christian? And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I am right. That was the wrong person you called. You talked to the wrong friend. That's why I'm saying those are not friends. That should be an acquaintance. Your friends should be people of the kingdom. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Jesus had a group of friends. He had lots of acquaintances. But his friends were the disciples, the ones that they were intimate together with. And, and we need to be careful as believers. I know that sounds like non-Christian, but that's why you, I like to preach right from the Word. I don't like to give you guys concepts and ideas from my mind. Right here, right from the Word. Stay away from people like that. Your main purpose with your old friends is to save them just like you were saved. That's it. And then you guys could be great friends together as believers. But until then, you have to realize there's not anything in common anymore. You are from another earth. You know, I mean, literally, you're from the after earth, right? We're just living here in time. But I'm living, I'm with Christ. My eye died and I was resurrected with Christ. It just hasn't happened yet, but that's where I am. That's what the Bible tells me. So continuing on in verse 7, it says, Some would follow new teachings. It says they wouldn't be able to understand the truth. It says that they oppose the truth, verse 8. And it even says that there would be depraved minds and even a counterfeit faith. Who has noticed that creeping in? He says, verse 10, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured and you know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will, and will themselves be deceived. So 2 Timothy is warning us, Ahead of time, chapter 3 is warning us about a time, a time of new teachings, a time of a counterfeit faith, a time of a depraved mind. Who has noticed that that's what we're, like you're talking to people. There's an old saying, and I live by this saying, never argue with a fool. Because the saying goes, someone who's watching might not know who the fool is. Because what happens is the foolish argument draws you in and then it all just sounds foolish. No one knows who's right. It just becomes crazy, right? Who's been there? And what he's talking about is a time, and this is what I'm noticing. Sometimes I'm talking to somebody, and I, I think we're on the safe, same page, and then I notice that I love them, and I have grace for them. Then it just turns into prayer, internal prayer. They don't know what's going on. Now I'm praying for them, but I'm like, you have a depraved mind. Your mind is just delusioned. 
Like, how can you think that this, this, and that is right? It's so opposite from what is right and wrong. It's so opposite, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm just shocked that you could think that that's okay or that's right. And like I said, that's not judgment. In fact, that always, the Lord pierces my heart, and I just begin to pray for them and plead for them and just love them the best way I can in that moment. What I want to look at for the rest of the minutes now is that we're fully aware of this creeping into the earth. I wanted to read it, and I wanted to read it in detail because I wanted us to see that even if we're not in the end times, we have entered a time that Timothy described. Well, we all agree. I mean, this is kind of actually like PG-13. I think we're at NC-17. Like the stuff he's talking about here, I think it's even worse. I mean, we're at like the bottom of the bottom, in my opinion, but I guess it is possible that there's another bottom to go. I'm really, really nervous for my children and the next generation if that's the case. If we're going to go darker, then I, I, we really, really need to be praying for these next generations who would agree with me. Because we've hit a time where the entire society is backing itself up and the idea of just who a person is is being challenged. We've hit a place where it's not just is God real or, or not God or which God, but now it's that what am I? And you can make that up as you want. And that's a very dangerous place because where's the end? The list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Every time I turn around, I hear about a new idea that a person could be, and I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. It's so strange to me. I think everybody's adults in here. I want to tell you guys something funny. I think I'm looking around. Everybody's old enough. Aaron told me about a new gender. It's called a semi-bisexual. Okay, you ready for this? It's a bisexual who only likes one gender. Exactly. Okay. A heterosexual is somebody who likes one gender. A bisexual supposedly is somebody who likes both genders. A semi-bisexual is somebody who likes one gender. But they're bisexual. Do you see what happens? And that's why we're going to look at Timothy, though. Actually, Paul gives Timothy so much insight, so much preparation. And that's what I want to do with us for the rest of the time here. We can safeguard our hearts. And it's so clear that what happens is, is when the delusion comes in, the Bible says that God... The people kept saying, we don't want you, God. We don't want you, God. We don't want you, God. Right, Dan? And so God said, fine. It's not what I want. This is not me doing it, but I'm going to let you do what you want. It's like a rebellious child. A parent loves them and 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 loves them. And finally, it's not the parent saying, I'm okay with your lifestyle, but what can I do anymore? I'm just going to have to let you experience it a little. And that's where we're at. But he says, I want you to look, the, though, for us as believers, we can actually safeguard ourselves. So I want you to look at it this way. The paragraphs that we've just read, I want to pose as the problem. And now I want to look at the solution. Everybody say, there's a solution. All right, so there may be a problem, but God has also given us a solution. 
And so let's go ahead and look here together. And it says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. So he goes on uh, for a little while here with Timothy, uh, starting in chapter 1, basically talking to him about his own faith. And he says, Timothy, you know, he talks about his grandmother and his mother having faith, and he says in verse 5, I remember your genuine faith. And he says, that faith continues strong in you. So he says in verse 6, I'm reminding you to fan, everybody say it out loud with me, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave me. So the Bible says, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Verse 13, he said, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. And finally, verse 14, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So there is a very deep, deep, deep problem in society today. It is going darker and darker and darker. People are beginning to think up wild. Actually, let's just call it for what it is, and we should not be afraid to say this, insane ideas. It is insanity. I tell the boys all the time, we have entered the twilight zone. I don't have any other way to describe when I hear some of the things I hear. But the Bible says that there is a way to safeguard our faith. Who wants to be safeguarded? I don't want, I am in this world, but I am not of this world. It is my job to love this people. I am not here to judge them. You must hear me clearly. Is anybody hearing me wrong? I am not judging them. What I am judging is the idea. Do you understand? It's the same way that you love your child. We used to say this, I love you, but I don't love what you're doing, right? I love my child, but I don't condone their lifestyle or their decision, right? So we love the world just because we love them. So the devil tries to twist it and says the church doesn't love the world because they're so judgmental. And I want to show you today that God's judgmental. (laughs) If we were never judged, how would you ever know you were wrong? Does anybody come to Christ because you finally realized what you were doing was wrong? God forbid we told the world that they were wrong. It's the only way that they're going to come to Christ. They're not going to come to Christ unless they realize there's a problem. If Christ is the solution, then you must know there's a problem. If we keep telling everyone, be who you are, be whatever you want to be, anything you want to be is fine, just attend the church, why would they ever need Christ? What am I offering them? What is Christ? And then you know what happens? I'm posing that question rhetorically, but you know what? They come up with other ideas. They're like, well, Christ is an idea. Christ is love. Christ is the good things, you know. So you can live the way you are, but you just have to be a good person. That's being Christ-like. That's not what my word says. 
Maybe that's part of who Christ was, that he was good. I mean, but even he himself said of himself, I'm not good. Who are you calling good? And if you are calling me good, then you're acknowledging I'm God, right? But he says something very straight here. He says, you must fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. What I want you to hear today is that we are going to have to work at this, right? Right, Dan? It takes work. I'm looking at Dan because he puts the work in. <laughs> Jim puts the work in. They get into their word. They get into prayer, and they go through it line upon line. Maybe I forgot. <laughs> I need, that's like me. Maybe I didn't realize, Lord, maybe I've missed something, so I'm going to keep reading it every day throughout the rest of my life, because I want to make sure I stay on the right track. Amen. Because we can easily be swayed. What happened is, it's very easy to figure out, this is not rocket science. We removed God from this nation. That was the first step. Do you remember? You guys, some of the older ones, you lived it. You watched prayer come out. You watched them introduce other concepts. When I was a kid, you know, when my dad would walk in and full house was on, he would grunt, and tell my mom it was inappropriate. Full house. That today is like, that's like on Nickelodeon. It's like a kid's show. A man, imagine. Imagine showing us when we were kids what's on TV today. I mean, just, oh my gosh. Wow. We're going to have to work at it. It requires action and maintenance. Fanning into flames is this, and it was interesting. I just sat by our fire last night, and you know what? The coal holds all the power. You don't have any power. The power is in Christ. Amen? All you can do is work at it. All I have to do is add some oxygen, whether you fan it, whether you use a leaf blower. I use that trick sometimes. I don't feel like sitting there and waving a paper plate anymore, so I just grab my little electric leaf blower. Man, that flame will get hot quick. It's a lot of oxygen instantly. But it takes work on your part, and yet it's not your power. Does that make sense? Christ has put the power, he has put the word, he has, the Bible says it's the implanted word in your heart. That's not of you. You cannot do that. You can never earn. We're going to look at grace, hopefully, today. If not, I'm going to look at these concepts next week. You cannot earn it. You cannot do it. Christ has done it, yet I must apply action to it. And if you don't, what happens? Anybody need to be schooled? I think we're all very clear. If a coal that is left without oxygen, what does it do? It dies out. It's pretty easy to figure out. And so when he's telling him, listen, Timothy, this is what's happening in the earth. This is what's coming. This is creeping in. I'm warning you 2,000 years in advance, this is going to creep in, but there's a way to safeguard yourself. You're going to have to be proactive. If you're lazy about it, your flame's going to go out. You must work at keeping it burning. Amen. And when I fan those coals, I don't have the power or the ability to turn them uh, into fire the call has all the power. All I'm doing is applying myself to the power that's already there. 
And that is me coming into the kingdom, coming into the Lord's presence, coming into his word, coming into prayer, getting together with other believers, making sure that this flame is burning. And he says the second thing in verse 13, you must hold on to the pattern. Everybody say the pattern. See, what happens is, is the devil, he's good at confusing. That's what he does. He's the confuser. The very first temptation that he did on the earth that we have record of in our word was to confuse Eve. He got in her mind and he said, did God really say? He comes to twist. He comes to turn. He comes to confuse. But the Bible says that there is a pattern. So what the devil does is he tries to convince the church that if you live to according to the word, you're religious. When in fact, it's just the opposite. Religion is actually following a pattern on its own without the power of it. Amen. So the devil tries to convince the church, oh, wow, you guys are real Bible thumpers. You guys, too many Bibles, like an hour here and an hour there and prayer, right? Who Who has heard these types of things? You guys are just a little too, a little too religious. That actually irritates me a lot because I hate religion. I hate religion like sin and religion are like this. They're neck and neck. I hate religion almost more than sin. And you know what? When I read through Jesus' teachings, it sounds like he does too. He had a lot more grace on the sinner than he did the religious. A lot more grace. And so the Bible says there's a pattern that we must hold to. Do not let the devil lie to you. You are not wasting your time consistently Locking yourself in to a pattern of wholesome teaching. You following the pattern, you cannot be patterned by the world because what's happening is, is they have a pattern. Is anybody unaware of that? We are fully aware that there is a pattern in this world. Now, it is morphing and changing constantly. But the pattern is self, 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 me, 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 I, 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 deserve, deserve, deserve. Self-gratification, right? Self-satisfaction. I think I said that right. Those are weird. I can't get no, right? Right? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. (laughs) George Bush Jr. up here. Strategery. That's an old joke. Wow. But there is a pattern that he has given us. In fact, he says in chapter 3, let's turn over to chapter 3 to make this point from chapter 1 more powerful here. He actually expounds on it in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Who has been taught in here the word of God? We've been taught. See, the first thing is that you must be taught, right? The Bible says, ready? It's one of the verses I've remembered since I was a kid, and I still quote it to myself to remember our purpose. It says, how will they know unless someone tells them, right? So first they must be told, right? How will they believe, right? So the thing is, you all had to be told first. The only way you found out about Christ is that you you didn't just think it up one day, 
You're like, let me just think of a God, and Jesus is the one that popped in your head. Somebody introduced the gospel to you. So the devil wants to try to say that you weren't taught, but you were taught. Maybe it was only a piece of the gospel, a simple part of it, but you were taught the gospel, which is what? That your life is broken because it's not aligned with God's plan and purpose for your life. And that's why you're making bad decisions. Repent, give it to him. He will give you his life in exchange, cover you with his blood and give you eternity. And you all said, amen, I want that. Thank God. The Bible says you must remain. Everybody say remain. See, what happens is, is Christianity is not a drive through It's not a happy meal. And if you treat it that way, in fact, that's unfortunately the way that much of society is treating Christianity and the gospel today is it's a happy meal. Come in, and then they say things like, you said a prayer, we believe you got saved. I'm not saying that prayer was not you getting saved. I'm just saying that if all you said was a prayer, I don't know that that was it. That's between you and the Lord. If you just want to say a prayer and go live like the world, honestly, It'll be you before him at the great white throne of judgment. If you want to take that chance that I said a prayer, but then I lived like the world, that's between you and him. But I am not going to read my word and preach the gospel that way. I can't because I don't see that in the gospel. What I see is that the prayer was the profession. Everybody say the profession. And then my life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, covered by grace, by Christ on the cross, right, encouraged me strongly to put action to my profession. And like Paul said, I messed up a million times and I'll mess up a million more, but I'm getting there. I'm striving. I'm pushing towards it. He's working on me and I'm changing and it's growing and I'm making mistakes again, but then I come back to him again and little by little, I'm getting closer and closer to knowing him and he's in that profession now was, yes, a prayer, the same prayer that maybe someone else prayed, but it, the Lord did something inside me, and I put action to it. I've been fanning it. I've been staying faithful to it. Amen. And the problem is, that's, again, between whether some people believe that it's just going to be about what you get in heaven, rewards in heaven, and some people believe it's heaven or hell. That's for you to decide, ultimately. But rewards in heaven or heaven and hell, why would somebody want to just simply say a prayer and be like, well, whatever, I won't have rewards? Why would you want that either? That's their example. They go, well, I said the prayer, you know, I'm a work in progress. In other words, I don't care. I'm not perfect. When they're saying, when I say I'm not perfect, they're just saying, like, I just don't want to live according to the word. Elijah told me about a comedian who was raised Christian, he says he's Christian, and he said openly, he's like, I know my life is, I'm not living the right way. It's such a strange concept, isn't it? That's the time where the first has to come that way, the Holy Spirit's pricking his heart. He said he's saying all the right things, but his actions aren't lining up. And the Bible says, he said to Timothy, listen, Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Now, being faithful to things I've taught is not that I believe them. You guys get that. You cannot just say, well, I still believe. Because if you don't put action to it, you don't believe. Well, I still believe in God. You do? Because you don't seem like it right now. Actually, I did hear his name recently out of your mouth. Had a couple extra words attached to it, though. Is that the God you're talking about? 
So he says, you must remain faithful. He says, you know they are very true. And for you know, you can trust those who taught you. Now, this was so powerful. When I read this, I was blown away because I real, I just had a revelation. I love when you're reading something you've read a million times and you have revelation again. When I read verse 15, I was shocked. Because verse 15 says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I was blown away. You know why? Because to emphasize the point that I was just starting to make, salvation is so much more than just saying a prayer. It's actually, when I say that prayer, I remember, I think it was, uh, wow, an, it was an old, an old preacher, I just went blank on his name, Derek Prince. Derek Prince had an interesting belief. He said he thinks it takes about three years for salvation to really occur. It was a total, you know, a, a guess. He's not saying it's exactly three years on the date you've been saved. But he, what he was saying is what I'm about to say. We all said yes to the concept of Christ, correct? The very first time, you didn't really know what it meant yet. And sometimes we wonder if we would still be following if we were told the whole truth in the beginning, right? <laughs> this is what it's going to mean. Obviously, I mean that in humor because, but, you know, if you were like, listen, you're going to go through some things, but it's going to be for your good. You knew all that in your sin state, you'd be like, well, I like it better over here. Obviously, that would be deception talking, but nonetheless, and you would never do that now, but it's funny to think about because we all know what I'm talking about. But it says something here. It actually says that the Word of God brings the wisdom to receive salvation in Christ. So this is interesting. I know all of us are in here are believers. So what I want to say to us is, that if the scripture is really what it took for me to, because like, okay, let me just back up. Let me just say it straight. Here's a brand new believer. You convince them that they do have sin, right? Because no one wants to believe it. I'm a good person, right? When you finally realize, when they realize, wow, I am a sinner. I need Christ. Did you really realize the depth of your sin yet, though? Who is still being unraveled by the Lord today? I've been saved my whole life, and I'm still being unraveled to the depth of my own sin and his, and his grace for me, though. Thank God, right? You're, he's constantly changing the thought processes and the heart issues and all those things in us. Amen. But you know how it's actually come? By reading the Word. So there's actually this cyclical motion, and it's this. He says... He, the reason he's telling him, I want you to stay faithful, I want you to stay in the Word, is because of this. It was actually the Word that when you finally fully realized, I need Christ, you heard the Word first. Even if you prayed a prayer, and even if you attended churches, who remembers the day it clicked? There's, always, there's a day for everyone. Because you were already in the church, you had already prayed a prayer, right? Who, who remembers this? And then just like one day, something just, something's different. I call this shifting into second gear. Actually, be here. Like you, you're in it, and you're aware of it. Now, in my case, I was born and raised in it. 
So that's me in first gear. I'm making mistakes, doing stupid kid things. You know, you're just, it's head knowledge. And then all of a sudden, bam, I just shift into second. That's when things start moving. And it went from my head to my heart. And I get it. And it came. You know how it came? It came by my mom decided that the most important thing she could do homeschooling with us was not academics. She said, you know what? What am I homeschooling you for just to teach you, you know, the things of the world? We're going to do that. My mom was very, she wanted us to do the math and the history and the English and all those things and attempted Spanish. We fast forwarded those videos. Maybe I should have paid attention. But she said, I'm going to focus, our greatest focus is the word. So we began to have this one and a half hour to two hour Bible study every single morning before we started school. And I'll tell you what, that year my life changed. By the time I got to that summer, something happened by being in the scriptures that a greater revelation came. And now what I want to say to us as believers is, what he's telling Timothy, who was already the pastor, he's telling the pastor, hey, don't forget the scriptures, okay? So he's already in a, in a place of teaching, and he's telling him, remain faithful. I want you to, re don't forget, don't forget that it's what even brought you into salvation to begin with. Stay in them because they're going to bring more le levels of revelation and more levels of revelation. You and Christ are going to become closer and closer and closer. So we'll get into more of this next week. Let me just wrap this up right here. The final thing in this little chunk of Scripture he tells him is, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. This is when I read this. This is what I'm saying. When I read this little chunk in chapter 3, and I read about what's going on in the world, and I realized this is the problem. This is the problem. The Word of God was designed to teach us what is wrong. We're so afraid of telling anybody anything wrong, right? You can't say anything to anyone unless they're saying it to you. Wow, did you guys hear that? You can't correct anybody unless they're correcting you. You're the only bigot. They, can, they cannot agree with you, and they can be bold about it. But as soon as you say something against their theology... Because that's what it is. It's a theology. It's a religion. You're the bigot, all right? A bigot is just somebody who doesn't accept other people, right? But we are not accepted anymore. Don't get offended at that, because Jesus said they hated me, they'll hate you. So just come to terms with that. Don't get hurt by it. It's not personal. It's not even the people. It's Satan. It's the system of Satan behind them, right? You're not warring against flesh and blood. It's not them. But he says this, the reason the word is so powerful and we'll get into this more. Yes, it's going to be for me to teach, right? I need to be bold about the word. And that's okay if it teaches, if it shows them that they're wrong. Unless they know they're wrong, they're never going to turn to Christ. That's that gospel. We cannot be afraid of that. That's the devil who has lied and, and told us that is hate speech. That's his lie that says it's in, that we're not tolerant, that we don't love. That is a lie. The greatest love you can do, someone's heading towards a cliff, is to grab them, and if you've got to tackle them to the ground, if that's what it takes, if I've got to break your arm in the process of tackling you to the ground, then so be it to save you from death over the cliff. Wouldn't you do? Well, I would want you to do that to me. It says it corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
So as we move on, I just want you to leave with this concept. The Word of God is not an old book. I know I'm preaching to the choir, it's just to the church. But he told Timothy in advance, for the time we're in, you're going to have to get a hold of the Word more than ever. The things you've been taught, the foundations I've laid, these principles, if you, if you let them wane, they will. You let the flame go out, it will. You're going to have to be proactive about this because it's going to get darker, but you have the opportunity in the Word to stand against it. And uh, amen, we'll leave it there. I'm excited to preach the next series, part of the series. We just want to pray quickly, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this Word. I thank you. It's a seed. And Lord, our hearts are good ground. I pray that it would be deposited in our hearts to produce fruit, Lord God, life within us and fruit for the world to, Lord, reap, Lord, from our lives, that they would receive what we have. In Jesus' name, amen.